Welcome to the Live to Give podcast, Sunday Sermons, where each week you get to hear the message preached at Faith Church in Lansing, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, hey, Faith Church, thank you so much for joining us, whether you consider yourself a part of Faith Church or maybe you're new, maybe you're just checking this out or someone told you to watch it or tune in and listen to us. We're just glad that you are joining us today. My name is Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church. and We're going to dive right away, right into what we're talking about. Today, we're going to be discussing parenting. And I know as soon as I say that, I risk losing some of you. So let me challenge you to listen. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Whether you've got kids or don't have kids, or no matter what age your kids are, whether they're young or grown and out of the house, whatever it may be. Because I promise that today you'll find some practical application for raising those kids. And, and maybe your kids are beginning to have kids. And so the practical application you may find is that you're going to gain some wisdom today that you can share with them when they ask. Now, did you catch those three key words? When they ask. In other words, keep your advice in the holster until your kids ask you to shoot them with some parenting advice, right? That's just a little, that's free wisdom for you. Now, some of you, though, you're going, well, Kirk, I don't have kids. Or maybe you're like, I don't even plan on ever having kids. I'm not interested in having kids. What in the world is going to be there for me today? Well, let me challenge you. Our mission statement at Faith Church is we say we live to give ourselves away. In other words, we always are looking to serve people because we think that's who Jesus was that he served. So today, if that's you and you're like, I don't have kids or I'm not interested in having kids, I want to challenge you to listen because you might glean something. You might learn something that you could then use with a friend that does have kids and to say, you know, hey, I heard this. Have you thought about this? And what if you think about doing this? And, and even just some of today might challenge you to be like, man, that sounds tough. I need to be praying for my friends with kids. So I want to challenge all of us to tune in and to pay attention. So to begin today, what we're going to do is we're going to have to start by tearing some things down. Anybody who's ever been in construction, you understand that sometimes you have to blast some things, blow some things up before you can begin to build, right? Like if you're going to build a house, you've got to tear up all the roots and get rid of all the mess that's there before you can begin to lay the foundation. And as we talk about parenting, that's what we're going to do first. We're going to blast a couple of things so that we can have the right foundation for biblical parenting. And so let me just begin today by talking a little bit about mistakes that Christian parents make. There's a couple of mistakes Christian parents make that I just want to dive into addressing. And one of those mistakes that we often make, and this will sound funny, but let me explain it, is that we forget the first story in the Bible. We forget the first story in the Bible. You see, Genesis 1 is all about the idea that God created the earth, that God created the world, that he created us. Genesis 2 then is all about what God's creation in its perfect form is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to operate. And the reason why I say in its perfect form is because Genesis 3 then is all about the fall. Genesis 3 is all about the story of Adam and Eve and how sin came into the world and came into what was the perfect garden. And Adam and Eve, got, they had no sin nature, and so it seemed like everything was set up for them, but, but sin still came into the world through them. Because God gave them one rule, but he also gave them this thing called free will. And they could choose to follow God or not, and they chose not to follow God. And so because of that, ever since that time, every son or daughter of Adam has been born with this thing that we call a sin nature. And the sin nature is the reason why whenever we see a sign that says wet paint, do not touch, it's almost like we can't help ourselves. We're going to end up touching it. 
We're, we're born this way. It's why our world is screwed up. See, it's not because God isn't loving and it's not because God isn't powerful. It's because of this thing called free will. And when we do things our own way, it's going to always mess things up. Now, here's the important takeaway from the story of Adam and Eve that I want to make sure that you see today, that I want to make sure that you get and that you understand. I want you to think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they are there, and if you think about this, um, they're in the perfect environment, right? Not only are they in the perfect environment, but they have no sin nature. Not only in the perfect environment with no sin nature, but if you think of God as being like the parent, they have the perfect parent. So let me show you what you've got in Genesis in the first story of the Bible. What you have here is you have perfect parenting plus the perfect environment plus no sin nature. Now, if we think about this logically, we'd go, gosh, that must mean that that's going to equal perfect kids, right? That's going to equal perfection. But if you know the story, you know, I just said, this is how sin came into the world. So we know the answer is not that it leads to perfection. And so what you have is perfect parenting, perfect environment, no sin nature, and it leads to rebellion. Think about that. You got the perfect parent. It doesn't get any better than God himself as the parent, right? Like when God's the parent, no one gets to go complain about their dysfunctional heavenly father. <laughs> so you've got the perfect parent, the perfect environment, the garden of Eden, two people without an innate sin nature, and yet you had rebellion. This is so important for parents to understand and to remember and to consider because here's what happens for so many parents. Anytime that our kids do really, really well and turn out great, we oftentimes take too much credit for that. But what I see even more often than that, and the reason why I think this story is so important for parents, is because oftentimes what happens is when our kids mess up, when something goes wrong in their life, when something isn't as it should be, we often take way too much responsibility for that too. And we will beat ourselves up and be angry at ourselves and say, how could we? And so I want you to understand the first story of the Bible where there was perfect parenting, perfect environment, no sin nature, and it still led to rebellion. It's important for us to <clears throat> understand that and to keep that in mind. And, 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 and the reason why this is challenging, though, for us in our culture is because any book you read on parenting, it always presents itself as the answer, right? It always presents itself in such a way that says, if you will do everything I'm telling you to do in this book, your kids will turn out great. Now, they'll always give you a caveat, but the way the whole book is written, the way that all the recommendations and the reviews of it are written are as if this will work. And so when you try to do what that book says and what the world tells you, and then it doesn't work, you're left going, I must be the problem. It must be on me. And then we come to Scripture, and Scripture shows us that, hey, listen, even in the perfect environment, perfect parenting, no sin nature, it, it didn't lead to perfection. And so parents, the first thing that I want to blow up for you is I want you to stop beating yourself up because your kids have this thing called free will where they can freely choose to obey or not obey. Now, this doesn't mean that as parents that you don't have influence. As parents, we have incredible influence over the lives of our kids. And in fact, as Christian parents, our role and our responsibility is to do everything that we can to lead our children towards a relationship with Jesus. But they have to choose that relationship. They have to choose to follow him. What we don't have is control. 
And in fact, if you try to control them, it is not going to work. (laughs) And so we can't control what our kids choose and what they don't choose, but we do have influence. And so at the end of the day, you have no control over how things turn out. And so some kids can be raised in a great home and then turn out not so great. That's not always on you. Uh, The flip side can be true too, right? There can be kids that are raised in homes that are just awful homes, that are bad homes, that can be like cesspools of of sin and bad parenting and, and mistakes and horribleness, and that doesn't mean they become bad kids. In fact, there are some people that you might be listening to this right now, you may have come from one of those homes, but then you found Jesus Christ, you changed your life, you're a loving person who loves other people, and so you came out of a, of a rough home, and yet you're a good person. And, and, and so it can go both ways. Some of the worst homes have created and developed some of the best people, and Some of the best homes have led to some not-so-great people. And what I want you parents to be careful of is when your kids do great, don't take too much of the credit. In the same way, when your kids struggle, don't take too much of the responsibility. (laughs) Now, the second thing that I need to blow up, uh, this one's going to hurt a little more for some of you. Hopefully that last one was maybe even more of an encouragement. Like, okay, all right, Nick. This one's going to hurt some of you. Because what this one is that we need to blow up is that there are many of us who have a false belief and a promise God never made. We have a false belief and a promise that God never made. And, and you don't want to count on a promise that God never made. And I want you to see what is mistakenly seen as a promise and it's held on to by so many people. In fact, some of you who are listening today might be holding on to this promise and people tend to cling to it really strong. They tend to be like, hey, God said it and I'm counting on it and it's going to happen and I am proclaiming it and I'm naming it and I'm just waiting for God. <laughs> and the problem is, is what they're counting on as a promise isn't a promise that God ever made. Where this promise that's not a promise is found is in the book of Proverbs, which should be the first hint that it's not a promise, but we'll get to that in a minute. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I know, I know, right now, right away, some of you are like, Kirk, don't you dare. Don't you, don't you touch this verse. Don't you mess with my verse. I'm counting on this. I'm depending on this. I need this verse. But here's the problem. When we take this verse as a promise, we forget that it was never meant by God to be a promise. It's what we call a proverb, not a promise. Proverb, what does that mean, Kirk? What's the difference between the two? What are proverbs? Well, Proverbs are pithy statements, and pithy is just a fancy word to mean that they're brief or short statements with a lot of depth to them, a lot of wisdom in them. And so Proverbs are these short or brief statements that have a lot of depth and a lot of wisdom about how life generally works. Not always works, but how it generally works. Now, don't get me wrong, this verse, Proverbs 22, 6, it is found in the Bible. It is, I agree with it. I'm not arguing with it. I'm not debating it. But what we have to keep in mind is the book where it is found is called the book of Proverbs. 
And in fact, this book was actually written by a king. It was written by King Solomon. Most likely, it was written by him uh, to give advice to his son Rehoboam, who would take over the kingdom after him. He wanted to help him lead the nation of Israel, but his son did not pay attention. He did, obviously did not read this book and did not do anything that Solomon put in it because Rehoboam lost the kingdom because of some really poor choices he made. But that's another story for another time. So let me show you how the book of Proverbs begins so that you understand a little bit more about what the purpose of this book was. Proverbs chapter 1, the first six verses say this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. You see, the purpose of this book was to provide wisdom and understanding, but it is the book of Proverbs and not the book of Promises. And and it's important to understand that because if you treat it like the book of promises, there's going to be some other proverbs that you're going to have a really hard time dealing with when what it says doesn't always take place and carry out. So it's hard to take Proverbs 22, 6 and call it a promise unless you're going to call all of them promises. But then you run into things like in Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, it tells us that if we will follow God's law and live a, a righteous life, that then we will have long life, we will experience prosperity and have great health. Now, help me out for a minute. Let me just ask you, do, have, do, do all righteous people, do all people who are Christ followers always live a long life? No. Do all Christ followers have great prosperity and are never poor? No. Do all Christ followers always have great health? <laughs> No. And so Proverbs 3 is not a promise, it's a proverb, a, a, a statement about what, how life generally works. Because generally speaking, if you will follow God's laws and his commandments and his principles, you're going to probably live a little longer life, have more prosperity in your life than if you didn't, and have a healthier life. But it's a proverb, not a promise, and so it doesn't mean that it's always true. Does that make sense? (laughs) And the statement that we cling to is a proverb, not a promise. Now, not only that, but there's another problem with this, this proverb that we try to treat like a promise. We actually get it wrong about what it says. We we tend to misread it. Because here's what happens. A lot of us will go, well, I raised him right, or I raised her right. I raised them in the church, and the day's going to come. I know they've walked away now, but the day's going to come. They're going to return. God's promised it. (laughs) But that's not actually what the proverb says. Look at Proverbs 22.6 again. It says, train a child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say that they will come back to it. It says they, will, they won't depart from it. It doesn't say that your wild child will return to Jesus as the prodigal son or prodigal daughter. It says they won't depart from the way that they should go when they reach adulthood. So not only is it not a promise, but even if it was a promise, it doesn't promise what we're hoping it promises. 
And so I know that I've just now destroyed the favorite verse that some of you have and ruined it for you, the verse that some of you have been clinging on to for years. But here's the thing. A couple of things I want to say to you, if that's you. <laughs> Number one, I'd rather speak truth to you than false comfort. And I want you to know that as I take it serious when we stand in the pulpit and we present to you what Scripture says and what it means, that I always would rather speak truth than false comfort. I want to be honest with you. But number two, and this is incredibly important, if you've been clinging to this verse and you've thought of it as a promise and now I just blew that up for you and you're deeply concerned, here's what you need to know about our God. Our God is a pursuing God who does not stop pursuing those who do not yet know him until they take their last breath. And what I know about God that I want to make sure that you know about God is that God wants your son or daughter to come back to Jesus even more than you do. You get that? God wants your son or daughter to come back to him even more than you do. So don't doubt that. God will pursue them like you can't even imagine. God is already, right now in this time, pursuing them in ways that you can't fathom. But we have to remember that God has given us free will. We're not robots. He's not going to force anyone to follow him. We have to make that choice, and your kids have to make that choice too. But we as parents, we need to understand that what we do have, again, is we do have influence. And so even if your child is an adult child who's walked away from the Lord, there's actually a couple of things that you can do. This is one of the questions I'll often get from parents, especially as we talk about this being a proverb and not a promise. They go, well, then what in the world can I do? So as a parent of adult children, especially if your children have walked away from Jesus, there's two things that I think are incredibly important for you to do. Number one is pray for them. Pray for them every single day. You can pray for them multiple times a day. Pray for them, 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 pray for them. And then when you feel like you're done, pray for them some more and pray for them some more and pray for them. And the reason why you're doing this is as much about you as it is about them. Because what it's doing is it's actually softening your heart more and more and more towards your child who maybe didn't follow how you raised them, who isn't believing what you believe. And that's hard for us parents to receive. And so you praying for them is helping you to soften their heart towards them because it's going to be important that your heart is softened towards them. Because the second thing that I think is incredibly important for parents to do if they want to have influence to help influence their children to come back to Jesus, the second thing you're going to have to do is serve them. And you're going to have to serve them even when they don't deserve it. Sometimes that's hard because adult kids aren't the three-year-old. When a three-year-old disobeys you, right, like you can get frustrated with it, but sometimes it's cute. When a 33-year-old has an attitude, it's never cute. <laughs> when a 33-year-old looks at you and tells you you don't know what you're talking about, but you as their parent know and you're just trying to help them because you love them and you just want to, 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 to help them out, but they don't want to listen and hear it, that's hard and it's never cute. And listen, if you ever want to have influence in the life of your adult children, especially anyone who's walked away from Jesus, and you want to have that kind of influence in their life, you're going to need to serve them, especially when they don't deserve it. Just like Jesus does for you and for me, right? He served us. He came to earth, and when we didn't deserve it, he gave his life up for us. 
If you want influence, you need to learn how to serve your kids. Because let me tell you, one of the things that I have learned in my life that is so important when it comes to influence is that oftentimes the path to influence is often run through serving. You get that? The path to influence is often run through serving. And that's important, but sometimes we forget that and miss it because it's hard. It's hard, and we don't always want to do that, right? Okay, so now I've blown up a couple of things. <laughs> I think it's time that we transition, and now let's build, right? Let me build some truths into you from Scripture about how to parent in such a way so that your kids are more likely to walk with Jesus when you hand them that torch. They're now on their own. They're making their own decisions, and your influence has become even less <laughs> How do we help to make sure they're going to walk with Jesus? To do our best to see that be the most likely answer. So the first thing, if that's what we want, the first thing that we have to do as parents is we have to make sure that we're aiming at the right goal. We absolutely have to make sure that we're aiming at the right goal. I believe that in our culture and in our church, most of us, my wife, Emily and I included, we kind of fall into the temptations of the world. And we all tend to have the same temptations. For most of us, we're aiming at the wrong things much of the time when it comes to raising our children. See, we're all trying to raise godly children, but the truth of the matter is that's not the goal. The goal is not to raise godly children. The goal is to raise godly adults. And so sometimes our kids do stupid things, and sometimes our kids do things that are embarrassing, and we get all concerned, and we get all mad, and we get upset at them, and we become more concerned about controlling their behavior as a child than we are with whether or not they learned why what they did was wrong. And I am not raising godly children. If you have seen my kids in children's ministry, I love them, God loves them, but they are so far from perfect. <laughs> but my goal is to raise godly adults. When they mess up, it's incredibly important that they understand what I'm talking about that they messed up in. Also, our goals seem to be the wrong thing. We often focus on, on worldly goals and let those become our goals. I'm trying to raise godly adults, not an award-winning teenager or award-winning young adult. I'm not trying to have the best-behaved senior of 2021. I'm not trying to have the best-behaved child at every sleepover. I'm not trying to have the kid that always obeys all the rules, but only because they're afraid of the consequences, which means as soon as the consequences are removed or they can't be punished for stuff anymore, then they're just going to do whatever they want and become a rebellious adult. <laughs> That's not what I want. I'm trying to raise godly adults. So let me show you what Scripture says about this. In the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You see, the world is so focused on external successes and being talented and being special and being successful or being famous or being admired. And, be, and they focus on those things more than the spiritual. And it's easy for us as parents, even as Christian parents, to fall into the same thing. And we get so concerned about, are my kids getting the right opportunities? Can I tell you something? One of the things that I've noticed with parents, the most heartbroken parents I've ever come across, tend to be the parents who had phenomenal kids and teens, and they were award-winning. They were successful. They were doing all the right things. The world looked at them and said, wow, you guys must be great parents. But then as they became adults, they walked away from Jesus. 
And as you sit down with them, they'll tell you how great they were as kids. They'll tell you about the trophies they won, the success that they had. They'll tell you how successful they are now as adults in their job and in their workplace, but they're not walking with Jesus. And it breaks their parents' heart. What good does it do to be successful but forfeit your soul? And the challenge in life is that most everyone else around you if they're not a Jesus follower as well with the right goal, with the same goal as you, most everyone around you, the, the, your coworkers at work and your neighbors in the neighborhood and your kids' friends' parents and the people that you, you do sports with and you do life with, most of them, their goal will always be about raising successful kids that are wealthy and have prosperity and are respected and do well and, ooh, have earthly success, <laughs> But that's not our goal as Christ followers, right? We want our kids to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and love like Jesus. And if that's what you want from your kids, you're going to have to parent them in a different way than how the rest of the world parents. And what happens as parents is that we often fall into what I call the opportunity trap. The opportunity trap where we think that our parenting is all about maximizing our kids' opportunities. Oh, my word, I can't mess this up. I have to maximize their athletic opportunities. I have to maximize their educational opportunities. I can't have them miss anything. If they get one bad grade when they're a freshman, it's the end of the world. I can't let it happen. I have to maximize their friendship opportunities. I need to help them figure out who's the right group and who's the right friends. And I need to maximize all of their opportunities in life, their experience opportunities. We've got to go on the right vacations and go to the right places and I need to make sure they see the right things and experience the right things with the right people because I've got to get them into the right college so they can have the right job, so they can be successful. And everything becomes all about the opportunities and character tends to fall by the wayside and seldom is our priority. Seldom is the thing that we're focused on with our kids. And what's funny to me is that what we tend to emphasize with our kids when they're younger doesn't really matter that much when they become adults, Right? I mean, like, think about this. Like, we, we, let's, let me, if you're, if you're 30 or older, have you recently had anybody ask you what your high school GPA was? No, of course not. Have you recently had anybody ask you what grade you got in seventh grade science? No. Have you ever gotten a job that you otherwise would not have gotten except for the fact that you were all league in some sport in high school? Right? It doesn't happen. Nobody's like, well, Mr. Proctor, you're just, you're just not a fit for this job. I'm so, oh, wait a second. You, were you all league in soccer in high school? Well, change of plans. Welcome aboard. <laughs> that never happens. And so we have to realize that the most important aspect of parenting is that the adult that I'm raising, that's what it's about. Am I raising godly adults? It's not about what photos can I pull out and put up on Instagram or Facebook and out on social media. It's not about what trophies did they get or didn't get. It's not about what opportunities did we accidentally miss or miss out on. It's about am I talking with my kids about Jesus? Am I setting an example? Are they following him? Are they prepared to, to, to carry that torch of Jesus' follower? See, I'm not just raising a child. I'm raising an adult, but more importantly than that, I'm trying to raise godly adults. 
who know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and love others like Jesus does. See, that's the right target. That's what we're supposed to aim for. (laughs) But how? Okay, I'm going to aim for the right target. How do I do that, Kirk? Perfect. Let's talk about the second thing I want to build into you, because this is This is key to getting the right target. The second thing I want to build into you as parents is this. The example we set will always trump the words we say. The example we set will always trump the words we say. Our example is always far more powerful than anything we say. In fact, uh, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you why my hair is as long as it is right now. Now, if you're just listening to the podcast, you can't see it. But any of you that are watching the video understand I've got hair. It's down past my ears right now. This started during COVID, during quarantine, and you all began to get worried that Kirk was going through a midlife crisis. Here's the story. I finally got permission to tell it. Uh, If you know my youngest son, Kobe, at all, he uh, used to always have long hair. Now, his mom and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It was straight. It was cool looking. I thought he looked like a little stud. We loved seeing his long hair. It was fun to watch him play soccer with the long hair and all kinds of stuff. As his hair got longer, though, he would sometimes get called a girl from time to time, and he'd had some issues with some people at school not being very kind to him. And something happened right before COVID, and we don't know even exactly what, but he came home, and as we were getting into COVID, he was pretty upset and wanted his hair cut. And we said, well, that's fine. And as we told him he could cut his hair, he looked at us and he went, I can? And we said, well, yeah. He tried to tell us that we told him he wasn't allowed to cut his hair, that he had to keep it. And we tried to tell him, no, we just, we think it's cool, but you can cut your hair. We actually cut it. And he looked at me and he said, dad, you don't think it's cool. And I said, yes, I do, son. And he goes, well, then why isn't your hair look like that? I said, Kobe, do you want me to grow out my hair? He says, yeah, I won't cut mine right now if you grow yours out. And I said, would that make you feel better? I'll grow my hair out right now. I think long hair is cool on a boy. And he goes, okay. So I told him that as long as COVID was going on, I wouldn't cut my hair. (laughs) Now, he may at some point hopefully let me out of that because I think COVID might be here to stay. But the point of that being, and eventually, a couple months later, he came and said, okay, I want to cut my hair. I said, can I cut mine? He said, no. So mine is still growing. He let me cut the sides once, which that was also a mistake, but that's a whole other thing. The point of me telling you that story, though, is that I could tell Kobe all I wanted, that his hair was cool, that I thought it was cool when it was long, but he didn't really believe me until I grew mine out. You see, the words we say will never carry the same, wor- the same weight as the actions we take. Your example will always trump anything you say. A- another way to think about this point is the idea of that what we are is usually what we get. That when it comes to what we are as adults, what we are as parents is usually what our kids are going to become. Now, there's always exceptions to this rule, right? Because we have free will. So there are people who had bad parents that could become really, really good people. And there are some people out there who had great parents and good parents and became kind of bad people. It is because we have free will. So there are exceptions. But generally, thinking proverb, thinking pithy statement that is generally true in life, generally what we are is what we get when it comes to our kids, Because the example we set will always trump the words that we say. And so I want you to see what Jesus says about this. In the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus is speaking. And as he's talking here, he's actually not talking about parenting. He's talking to anybody who's ever in an authority relationship. 
whoever has authority over somebody else. So he could be talking to anybody who's a, who's a boss or a manager or a supervisor, anybody who's a, a teacher or a coach or a parent or a grandparent. And in Luke 6.40, Jesus says this. He says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Ooh. See, this is powerful. And it reminds me of a truth about parenting. Because the truth is you reap what you sow. And at the end of the day, our kids are most likely to turn out like us and to be like us than to be like anyone else in their life. Because <laughs> listen, who you and I are matters. It matters. And, and when I say that, I don't mean who the world thinks we are. See, we, oh, good, good. The world thinks I'm impressive. The world likes me. Listen, parents, I've got a truth to let you in on, whether you realize it or not. When it comes to you and your kids, there are no secrets. You may have a secret in your life that I don't know about. You may have secrets in your life that your friends don't know about. But I'm just going to tell you right now, your kids know. Your kids know. The other day, I was having a conversation with my wife. I was complaining to Emily about someone. Uh, don't worry, it wasn't one of you. Uh, he goes to another church in another state. I, I would never, I never, I never complain about you guys, ever. Um, yeah, and, and so what I didn't know, though, was that Kobe, our youngest, he overheard us talking about this, this person. And, and so then about a week later, we were having a conversation, and this person came up again. Again, different church, different state. Uh, this person came up again, and Kobe blurts out and goes, oh, we don't like him, right? what? <laughs> and he tells us that he heard us talking. No, no, let me just, let me just for a moment, let me be honest, because I like to make fun. I like to have jokes. Listen, it, honestly, it was, it was not anybody from our church. It was not anybody from here. It wasn't even a bad conversation about the person, but the way he heard it, the way he understood it was as if like, we must not like them. No, daddy was frustrated with somebody and that's it. But, but, but listen, he was listening. Your kids are listening when you don't even realize they're listening. They're hearing things that you say. They're observing the things that you do. Listen, your kids know more than you, you realize. I promise you. We had no idea, but Kobe knew. And so parents, you need to understand, your kids see more than you think. They hear conversations that you don't realize they hear. They know where you've hidden your stuff and where your stash is. Kids are smart, okay? You need to know, they know when mom and dad have had too much to drink. They know when mom and dad have had too much of something to smoke. They know when mom and dad are having an argument, whether it's a loud argument or one of those really quiet arguments where you just mad at each other and say nothing and you don't talk all night. Your kids know that. They're too smart. They understand. Better probably than anybody else in this world, your kids know the kind of person that you are or are not. They know mom and dad. And so you have to ask yourself, is the behavior that I'm having right now in my home as a parent with my family, is that behavior the behavior that I hope my kids will have with their adults? Because let me tell you, as parents raising future adults, we will absolutely 100% reap what we sow. And this brings us to our so what moment. So what does this mean? What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? There's two key things that we said today. We said that we have to make sure that we're aiming at the right goal. And then we said that the example we set is always more powerful than the words that we say. And so I want to challenge you as parents to understand how important it is the goal that you're aiming at in your life for you. Because sometimes what I will see happen is, is, is that parents will, 
They'll, they'll, they'll be like, they'll, they'll be like, well, well, we're doing churchy things over here. They'll be like, 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 oh, every week I make sure we read the Bible at some point in time, and, and, we, and we send our kids to church, and they go to youth group, and we're at church as often as we can. But then on Friday nights, you're living like hell. And you're like, well, I don't understand why my kids are the way that they are. Well, listen, it doesn't matter if you read the Bible once a week, if also several times during the week they see you living a completely different life. Your kids are too smart. They know that they understand. Why are they the way they are? Because they're following the example that you set. What I'll also hear from parents is they'll say things, they'll be like, well, I know I'm not really walking with Jesus right now. And they'll say things like, well, I'm, I might not be the best spiritual leader, but I want my kids to have that, so I'm going to send them to the Christian school. And they'll raise my kids to know Jesus. Or you're having problems with your kids, and you're like, well, I'm going I'm to make sure that they get to church, and they're going to go to youth group, they're going to be at 127 so that they can help my kids quit doing the things they're supposed to quit and know what's right from wrong because I can't seem to help them do it because I'm not really walking the life the right way. Listen, your kids are too smart for that. They know better. If you aren't striving to live and love like Jesus... Your kids know better. And in fact, if you try to play it off and try to present it as if you are, that only pushes them further away from Jesus because kids, listen, kids have the best BS meters. I don't even know if I can say that, but I just did. Kids have the best meters of what's real and not real in your life better than anybody else. So you might have everybody else fooled. You might have everyone at church fooled, everyone at school fooled. You might have me, your pastor, fooled, but you don't have your kids fooled. They know when your relationship with Jesus is real and when it's not. And so listen, if you take anything away from this message, simply take this away, right? The goal that you are aiming for will become the goal your kids are aiming for. So if you are not focused and growing in your walk with Jesus, if you are not chasing after Christ as hard and as fast as you possibly can, and as genuinely and authentically and in a real way as you can in your life, then how can you ever expect your kids to do it? But if you will chase after Jesus, then generally speaking, eventually, most of the time, your kids will be so moved by watching you chase Jesus that they will begin to chase Jesus and say, that's how I want to live. That's how I want to love. That's what I want my life to be modeled by. And so parents, the most important thing that you can do in the life of your kids is to chase Jesus as hard and as fast as you can. Strive to live in love like him. And then watch them begin to follow your example. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as parents, we often get very deeply concerned and worried about our kids. <laughs> you know, if, if we make a mistake, say a wrong thing, do something wrong, we're not too worried about it. But boy, when our kids do, we worry about the ramifications, we worry about the consequences, and we worry about what it says about their heart. God, would you help us as parents not to overreact too much to what our children do, but to realize we're raising adults? Help us to parent in a way that says, you know what, I need to make sure they understand this. I need to make sure that they know so that they can grow from this. But more than anything else today, Lord, would you help us to be parents who pursue you, who fall in love with you, so that our kids would see that, know that, and follow that example. Help us to do it in a way, God, that is not fake, because our kids will know, but in a way that is real and authentic. 
In Jesus' name we pray.